Introducing Brian Breaker, the biggest icon in wrestling. Daniel Ross. This is the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. What is going on? What are you doing? We will not go quietly into the night. Hang on! Houston, you have a problem. Boom shakalaka! I'm sweating like a pig here. It's a long time. Mr. Phoenix! Eat the pizza. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again for the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel, your weekly dose of nostalgia. I am Brian Breaker, and joining me as always on this uh, journey to talk about some Saturday morning fun is my pal Daniel Cross. Daniel, are you ready for some Saturday morning nostalgia? Living in the Hall of Fame! Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> so, yeah. I've, got my, uh, I've got my tuxedo on, Perfect. but still no pants. Well, Just a tuxedo top. I hope it's a tuxedo t-shirt. I'd be okay with that, too. It's a little of both. Well, you know, whatever works, right? Um, so, yeah, this week, the Hall of Fame. So, we hope everyone had a good uh, holiday season as we uh, wrap up 2023. We thought it would be a fun idea to kind of do a uh, Hall of Fame, as it were. So, we're going to talk about um, our different Hall of Fame picks and uh, everything that we have going into this. But as it also being an end-of-the-year special... I thought it'd be kind of cool to uh, to kind of do a bit of an overview of some of the topics we uh, we went over this year. So I'm going to pick out a couple of random topics, and I want you to just kind of give me uh, some memories you have, either about the episode or about the topic itself. Um, first one I'm going to throw out there is an early episode, but a show that we both really liked, Boy Meets World. That was a great one, I thought. Yep. According to my notes, that would have been episode six. So I know we're doing the uh, Hall of Fame TV induction. Almost went with that one, but I wanted to talk about something else yeah. because we did kind of already cover that. But ah, Boy Meets World was fantastic. One of my favorite childhood shows, if not the my uh, most favorite. Yeah, it's one of those shows that still holds up, which is uh, not all sitcoms definitely have that, but it certainly does. And I feel like the issues still, you know resonate with today's society so yeah uh, boy meets world is always going to be a favorite of mine and like you said that was episode six so if you want to hear our, our full discussion on that episode go check that out in the archives another one i'd like to talk about was episode four favorite royal rumble moments this was kind of a, a fun idea because the royal rumble is such a huge part of uh wrestling culture i guess and uh with the royal rumble you know as we record this it's coming up uh, yeah. in uh, in january um what are what are your thoughts? What, who do you think's winning the Rumble? Do you think we'll see any big surprises? Like that's always kind of a big thing, is right? Big surprise entries into the Royal Rumble. What are your thoughts on uh, going into the twenty twenty four Rumble? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Of course, CM Punk came back, so you know, could be Punk, could be Cody. Uh, you know, it, Punk is kind of the last big surprise. I feel that's out there that would mean anything. Yeah. So I don't know that we're going to see. I mean, like if Kurt Angle showed up, it'd be cool, but it wouldn't be. It's kind of like we've seen that yeah. over the last five to ten years. Uh, so yeah, I don't know who they could dig out. Now, honestly, I mean, if you heard the glass shatter at number 28 or something, you know, obviously that would be a huge pop, but I don't see that happening. Well, I could see Austin, because I guess there's been talk of Austin coming back to work with Punk, you know, as a one-off at WrestleMania, a match that Punk always wanted, and 
obviously it would have made uh, a lot of sense back in the day. And I think we all kind of wrote Austin off as never probably getting back into the ring. But obviously that's not the case because a couple of years ago he wrestled Kevin Owens. So it's definitely possible. Um, and I don't know. It'll just be interesting to see what happens. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think The Rock, obviously, if, if that happened, yeah. that would be a big surprise. Um, or, you know, if Ryback came back, that would be huge. <laughs> big business. Dude, okay, so were you on the Ryback hype train? Because, like, even when he kind of came back with that gimmick, I remember just thinking, like, this is not good. And for whatever reason, the crowd was kind of getting into it. I think because, like, the whole feed me more. People like to chant along, right? And, mm-hmm. and I get it. But I was just like, this is not good. And he found, a you know, a little bit of a, an opening because I think Cena went down with an injury. ended up in a main event with Punk at, like, Hell in a Cell in, like, his his debut year with that character. But it was pretty much downhill from that point, right? Yeah. I, you know, I think to give him some kind of credit if he deserves any I do think WWE did a little bit where he was catching on and getting a little too hot, and they don't like that a lot of times. So yeah. I saw them put the brakes to him a little bit, and they teamed him up with Joe Henning and put him with Paul Heyman for no apparent reason. And, you know, so I saw them kind of, you know, put pump the brakes on him, um, which is fine. I mean, I don't know that it would have worked out anyway. Right. But uh, I see them do that with a lot of guys. Um, yeah, I wasn't uh, a huge Ryback fan. You know, I didn't quite understand the appeal, but he did start to catch on there for a little bit. But yeah, he's not—he's uh, not as big a deal as he thinks he is in his own mind. I think he's gotten on like where he's doing a lot of social media stuff, and you know, God bless him for trying. I just—I feel like it's—it's it's one of those—he's one of those guys where I'm like, boy, there is absolutely no reason on earth for any wrestling company to ever try to use him in any capacity. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story. I was kind of helping. I, don't, I wasn't like, you know, running a wrestling company, but I was helping a guy, you know, with booking and stuff like that here locally a few years back. And he got into his head. He started wanting to book some like quote unquote, big name talent. And, you know, that's one of those things you get their price tag and you kind of have to do that. Like, okay, is this even, well, I even turn a profit with this, right? You know, because obviously that's a, that's a key factor for any big name. Uh-huh. And Ryback's price. Oh, can I guess? Yeah, guess his price. Uh, okay. So just but, to put but, it in. in let, let me tell what, you. What year are we talking? This is 2017. Okay. So like Piper, Nash, those type of guys, they're around the three to $5,000 mark usually. Yeah. Or they were back in the day. Uh, so I'm going to go with an overinflated view of himself. I'm going to say he wanted $10,000. So no, it, it wasn't that much. Okay. His, but it, it, it's, it's worse. Um, he wanted five grand plus you have to book his friend because he will only wrestle him. <laughs> he wanted a direct flight, no connections, which, you know, we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, like everything's a connection, you know, mm-hmm. like, like there's a handful of places you're going to fly out of, but it's going to be like, you know, Denver, Dallas, Houston, you know, not happening. Right. And, uh, and then he wanted a very specific type of rental car and a five-star hotel. So you're talking like 7,000. Oh, probably <laughs> more than that. Really? I mean, yeah. you think about a, a, a flight and everything else. You're probably, 
I would say you're probably a, like you said, 10 grand. I bet with everything, you're kind of approaching the $10,000 mark. And, you know, this promoter was trying to do things as cheap as possible, which made sense to me, but it was things like, well, Hey, I'll pick you up at, you know, the airport. And cause you know, it's essentially like you're coming in for the day and you're leaving the, the, the next day. I'll right. pick you up. I will put you in a, um, like he, he had a connection to put people in like a casino hotel. So it was a nicer hotel. Was it five stars? Probably not, but it would, you know, like we have a hard rock casino out here. And so it's like a casino hotel room. Not terrible. Plus there's things to do in the area. Yeah. And let's be honest, you know, you can Uber, not a big deal. You don't need to drive. I don't think. And, and it's a day, you know, but yeah, I just thought his demands were way over the top. And it was funny because he asked me like, what do I think? And I was like, Oh, definitely not. He's like, you don't think so? It's like for Ryback, hundred percent no. Like if it's yeah, like someone, he would have to draw a thousand people at least just to cover his own. Yeah, you know. But not feet. only that, it's it's Ryback. I just, I mean, like he asked me, I'm like, dude, I would, I think you should take someone who's like closer to the fifteen hundred dollar mark, like a hacksaw Jim Duggan, and and again, I don't know his rate, but that's just a guess. I'm like, I, I think that's bigger, me personally. Like, yeah. I don't need to see the guy wrestle necessarily, but like Ryback, I don't see anyone being like, Oh my God, we got to go see Ryback. Like who cares? And right. that's also my view of, I like the legends more than the current day guys. But anyway, um, he ended up emailing him back like a few months later. Hey, I'm running a special discount. If you book me in the next month, uh, 3,500 per appearance and uh-huh. everything else was still the same and still wanted his handpicked opponent, the whole deal. It was, it was the most demanding I'd ever seen of, of any talent. And, and what was funny is, like, we you start to kind of learn how guys work. A lot of them would work, say, hey, for one appearance, I'll come in for this. But if you book me three times, I'll come in for this much. Kind of that way you could kind of do a small story with them, you know, maybe have them win a title, yeah. drop a title, things like that. So I thought – so he did he did do that a couple of times, but it was just interesting how, how far demanding Ryback was and for what I consider to be, like, the uh, – Worst of the worst. And another thing, too, is this promoter was like, if I'm going to bring in someone, I want him to work with one of our guys to give them the rub. And I'm like, 100%. Like, sure. him working his own hand-picked opponent does, like, nothing for anybody. Yep. Another guy doesn't understand the business. Pretty much. But uh, back to some of our other um, episodes. This is a fun one. Nickelodeon game shows, man. These were a fixture of the 90s. I think we all spent many a summers watching reruns of Legends of the Hidden Temple, Nick Arcade, Guts, and uh, Double Dare. Yeah, and we all daydreamed of being on those game shows. I know I did. Oh, yeah. And if you saw a kid not win, you're like, man, I would have put that silver monkey together so much faster than that kid. He had no <laughs> no one could ever figure out that monkey on Legends of the Hidden Temple. No. Like, that temple, I'll be honest, it looked complicated. Like... Multiple ways to start and, you know, buttons, the doors that don't open and temple guards. It was kind of a complicated system. Yeah, that's so. that was so cool, though. It's so badly. Can you imagine the money they would have made? And, and maybe they did. I don't know. Imagine if they just, like, on days they're not shooting, they just opened up that temple and you had to pay $5 to run through it. You know, how much money would they have made for kids? Infinite amounts. It would probably be one of those things that had to turn people away. Oh, yeah. Like and you'd be in line for two hours. and Yeah. Just for a chance to run through it. Yeah. 100%. Yep. Oh, yeah. I would have paid that as an adult. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that was definitely a fun one. Um, 
We also dove into some unique topics, uh, backstage stories, which was uh, basically me and you telling our own stories of being backstage in the WWE. Um, I felt like a lot of those episodes have been kind of fan favorites because, you know, we did a recent one of getting in trouble in school that just dropped a couple of weeks ago and uh, things of that nature. But I feel like sometimes these stories are more entertaining for the listeners of, of hearing, you know, like what we experience backstage and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I always enjoy uh, dropping names and people we've rubbed elbows with in the past. And, you know, I did think about this, though. I've, I think I've met, of course, nobody currently, but, you know, I, I feel like I've met all the big stars, you know, that there are to meet out there, except I never met the biggest one. So I never met Rock, never met Hogan, never met Austin. Have you ever uh, ran into any of those three guys? So actually, those three are also three I have never met, but I felt like everybody else I've I've seen at least a handful of times. Yeah, it's like Cena, Triple H, Undertaker, all those guys. I've met all them. Yeah, uh, multiple times. But yeah, never met never met the big ones. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I guess I never met Brock. He would probably fall on that list too. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was gone during during that time. Yeah, he came back like right as I was like getting into developmental, but yeah, we never, never crossed paths. So yeah, never met him either. Uh, another one we, uh, we, we did, which was a kind of a two topic episode, the Nintendo game boy and the worst wrestling figure. That was a, that was a fun one because the wrestling figure world has changed so much in the last few years. You know, we obviously went LJN to Hasbro to Jack specific and, and Jack's was kind of the first to be like, Hey, we're going to release, so many versions of our popular guys, you should never have an issue finding someone. But yeah. in turn, that led to some really crappy figures, too. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of them were uh, pushed a little too quickly, I think, and uh, didn't yeah. go through enough people <laughs> to uh, to nix them. So, yeah, I mean, when you're I mean, when you're talking about terrible wrestling figures, I feel like you're always talking jacks. You know, obviously, you look at LJN, you know, quality-wise, they were worse, you know, than what we got with Jax. But for the time being, like, they were fantastic because this was kind of the first mass-produced wrestling figure right up there with, you know, AWA and Rimco. Right. But, uh, you know, Jax is kind of like, okay, we're we're uh, we're more evolved now. How did some of these get through the line? Like the Mark Marrow or Vader or The Rock where he had, uh, like, pants on with, you know, The Rock on the side of it. It's, uh, yeah, they made some, they made some bad ones. Yeah, they definitely did. I remember having headbanger figures and like the top of their heads were like painted black, almost like they were trying oh, to make yeah. like shading for like hair growth a little bit, but it almost looked like they were wearing like a yarmulke, like a Jewish hat, you know? And I just never got that. I was like, well, what is happening here? Like there was so many weird choices in that line that I could, I could never understand. What is, so tell me, what is the deal with Bret Hart's face? How come no company, Jax, LJN, not even Mattel, can ever get Bret Hart's face right? Is it just, like, impossible? Like, he just has a face that doesn't translate into an action figure? I don't know, because I've seen a lot of, there's a lot of independent people that make uh, 3D printed heads, and all of them Mm -hmm. have done pretty well with Bret. Like, okay. Or is it just me, dude? Every figure I see, like, it just like, that does not look like Bret Hart. You're not wrong. A lot of people feel that way. I know Mattel struggled with a lot of the women, too. There was a really bad Sasha head. There was a really bad uh, Becky Lynch head. I think Charlotte Flair had a few bad ones where it was just like, what the crap is this? And uh, 
I don't know. I think it's just one of those things. Like there, like some people are just hard to nail, and they don't they don't fit. I don't know. It's hard to explain though. And uh, Jazz wears with AEW. A lot of their heads have been pretty bad. I feel like. Yeah, I remember uh, Bret Hart. They just released one or showed images of one. I don't know if it's going to be uh, an elite or what it is, but. Anyway, yeah, his face looks more like the British Bulldog than it does himself. It's like really kind of fat and chubby. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's one they've struggled with. I don't know. Like there's so many where I'm just like, what is this? And I feel like uh, the Hasbro head is probably the best one he's had. Yeah, yeah, actually. Which is, which is crazy that they nailed it in like 1991, but in two, 2023 <laughs> they can't figure it out. Yeah, I almost feel like his Jax ones are just about as good as the Mattel, what Mattel's doing. No, I agree. I agree completely. Um, we covered some other really good topics. Uh, the Three Ninjas movie, which is always a cult classic for me, one of my personal favorites. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. Toys R Us, uh, favorite pizza. The Sandlot, another good one. The Mighty Ducks. Um, Ernest movies more recently, that was great. Happy Meals was really fun. WWE Films was insane. And then uh, even TGIF, which was, man, that was on the wheel from day one. And I was kind of wondering if it was ever going to get selected. Yeah, we finally got to, I think, episode 40 or 41 or somewhere around there. But Yeah, it was episode 40. Yeah. Well, how about our very first episode about handsome Harley Race? Yeah, and then what's funny is if, if we had done that intentionally, I don't think anyone would have cared. Like if we started off with that. But it was legitimate. Like that is that was the first poll that won. It was Harley, so it was like what a perfect way to start the 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 entire series of this show. And it was it was it could have been better. Yeah, and we've been going about ten months strong. I think we started like in February or somewhere around there. February eighteenth actually has a date right there. Yep, and uh, we had a couple of uh, we had a lull in there for a little bit where we couldn't produce episodes, but for the most part, we fit every week. So. We got a lot more stuff happening. Um, I want to throw it out there to guys like Steve Hoker and uh, a good friend of the show, Richard Yule, just hit me up with about five new topics that will be going on the wheel uh, relatively soon. So we got a lot of cool stuff happening. But as we talked about this week, it's going to be our Hall of Fame special. So uh, we have five topics, and each of us have picked a a thing to go into the topic, and that will be the Class of 2023 Hall of Fame. And we'll we'll continue this every year. The last uh, last week of, of of the year, so we'll do this again in twenty twenty four and and moving forward. But I'm uh, I'm definitely ready to get started. So our five topics will be a toy line, a TV show, a movie, something involving wrestling, and then a random thing. So that could almost be anything, which really kind of. Leaves it open, man. That could, that's going to be such a fun topic because who knows what's going to go in that one. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm ready. Or what are, we, what are we doing first? Well, I think let's start with uh, the toy line um, because, you know, I think with this, it's such a wide range of things you can include and, and why you want to include it. I'll let you I'll let you go first on this one. Um, basically, let us know the toy line you chose and why you chose it. Sure, so my induction to the 2023 Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel Hall of Fame under the toy category is my favorite uh, toy line of all time growing up and still is today. 
They've uh, reproduced it. Uh, Super 7's put some new figures out about it. But uh, my induction is Toxic Crusaders. Very nice. This so we're talking, uh, I can run through. the. Of course, it was only one line, but uh, I think nine figures total. But there was Headbanger. There was Dr. Killamoff, great name for a bad guy. Absolutely. Bone, uh, bonehead, Major Disaster, uh, Dog Pound, No Zone, Psycho, uh, what was the guy's name? Radiant Rage, uh, Radiation Ranger, of course, Toxie, and then it, uh, Toxie was the main guy, and then it came with some vehicles, the Apocalypse, Attack Copter, the Crusader Skater, the Hideous Hovercraft, Smog Cycle, and the Toxic Turf Surfer, all released in 1991. And I love this line just because of, they were very close to Ninja Turtles. They could have fit, and of course they were made by Playmates. Could have very easily fit into a Ninja Turtle uh, wave or two. Uh, the colors were fantastic. Everything bright, neon, oranges, pinks, blue, green. Uh, you know, those were always kind of my favorite colors in a toy line, you know, back then. And then just really fun characters, so. And also, it's kind of a, it fit the trend because in the 80s and 90s, uh, it was definitely popular to take an R-rated movie and then somehow kind of dumb it down and clean it up for uh, children's consumptions, whether it be a cartoon or a toy line. So that's what we have here with the Toxic Crusaders, of course, coming from the R-rated movie Toxic Avenger, which yeah. is not made for children. No, it is not. Uh, very grotesque movie. But no, I, I you're right. I think this was kind of a trend. Obviously, Toxic Crusaders also had a Nintendo game. They had a Game Boy game, a Sega Genesis game, and uh, even a cartoon, like you mentioned. So, to me, this was perfect for an action figure line. Like you said, they go very, very well with your Ninja Turtles. So, if you collected Ninja Turtles, this was kind of a fun subline to throw in there too which i think is really important and really cool and no i agree i actually have recollected all of these now except two i don't have no zone or headbanger that's the only two i'm missing so i'm on the i'm on the hunt for those but yeah this line is absolutely fantastic it's uh it's definitely one of my favorite lines of of 90s action figures and i know there's a company now that's kind of producing new characters i'm sure you've seen that where they're going to supposedly be in somewhat similar scale to the playmates line and I think continuing classic toy lines like that's really cool, so I'm excited for it. Yeah, and I think those uh, toys were actually going to be continued had the uh, line went to a Series 2. So, yeah, that'll be cool to see. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm sure like it didn't quite have the popularity they were hoping for, so a second wave never happened, which is unfortunate, but I'm sure back in the day that happened a lot with a lot of different toys where they just never made a, a second one because they just didn't have the money or they felt like the drawing power to do it all right so what about you what's your inductee all right so my inductee into the saturday morning rumble wheel class of 2023 hall of fame for a toy line i chose wwf hasbro and um the reason i chose chose this um i guess it could be the entire series technically because it's a it's a wide-ranging series I feel like these have the the best nostalgia of any um, like wrestling toy ever, right? We'll always look at that style and be like, "Oh man!" Like so, when when Mattel brought these back in two thousand like sixteen, I believe it was, it blew my mind. 
Now we have a bunch of companies doing retro style figures. Um, it's amazing. I absolutely love it, but nothing beats the original Hasbro's. And obviously, uh, you know, good friend of the show, Jason Wolf, he does customs of, of Hasbro's and has kind of created his own, his own projects and stuff using some original parts and these existing parts. And it's just been super fun. But I think that line in of itself is to me, what a wrestling figure is when I think of one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. And I, and I, and I also think this, like every, if you look at every toy line, like LJN, they started off as like eight inch rubber, non-movable figures. Hasbro could have easily taken that and kind of made it their own, but they're like, you know what? No, we're going to do four inches, but we're going to do, um, movements where they all do a move. And really no figure had done that in wrestling at that point. So they took a huge gamble and I felt like it really paid off because these things are just amazing. And all of them really hold up today. Like I said, the Hasbro Bret Hart head is mm -hmm. probably better than most any Bret Hart head. And that's saying something for a 30 year old figure. Yeah, some of them are really good. I know I've always said, like, the Nasty Boys, their sculpts on those heads were amazing, mm -hmm. you know, for back then. But no, I agree. When you think of wrestling figures, I think you automatically think of Hasbro's. You know, LJN and Remco, they kind of got the ball rolling, but uh, Hasbro really nailed it. And, you know, I don't know if it, again, just the the times, you know, there were, there were all these, I mean, literally like 100 figures. Yeah. You know, bright colors. Uh, the sculpts were great, you know, very cartoony, which is what I love about, uh, you know, wrestling figures, which is why I'm not a huge fan of what's going on, you know, with Mattel today, but right. it is what it is. Obviously, they're not marketing it towards me. They they found their their customer base, but you're right. You know, Hasbro's, I mean, they were fantastic, and they're the ultimate in wrestling figures. Well, and, and the thing is, too, is I felt like they did a good job of never reusing parts unless it was like, Okay, that works, right? Like, they took the uh, first Macho Man body, and they used it for Rick Martel. That was one of the first ones I remember. But it worked. Mm -hmm. It was fine. Uh, the, you know, Mattel Retros, they've reused so many bodies so many times. It's just like, you kind of get dumb to it. You're just like, okay, it's the same figure again. I mean, Hasbro gave Skinner, Skinner. His, right. his own new sculpt. Everything completely brand new. And so... That to me has always kind of been like, wow, they really went the extra mile with every guy, you know, and um, kind of like when Razor came out, Razor Ramon, they gave him his own sculpt with the vest. They could have easily put him on a Sid Justice body because I know a lot of people have done customs like that because it's, you know, he's boots, knee pads and trunks and, you know, had the big torso. So they could have used that for, for Razor, but they were like, no, we're going to give him his vest because that's Razor's look. And so I, I always felt like they went the extra mile to make sure all of them looked looked as good as they possibly could. Absolutely. Yeah. Until maybe the last wave. There's some questionable choices there, but it was also right at the end, so I give them a pass for that. I love the Yokozuna one just oh, it's, because it's, it's a brand-new sculpt and oh, it's, it's a big, amazing. fat guy. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a really, really good figure. All right. Um, so next up will be our uh, TV show. What do you have for our TV show, Hall of Fame? So I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I know we text back and forth, but uh, I was going to induct. Maybe we'll save it for next year, the Simpsons Halloween, but we just kind of got done talking about them. I wanted to bring up something new. Okay. So my show that I've chosen, uh, definitely a Hall of Fame candidate, and my inductee, a show that started also in the year 1991, just like Toxic Crusaders, went on for eight seasons until 1999, and it can be summed up in one sound, which is... Uh, 
<laughs> Home Improvement. One of my personal, personal favorites. Um, oddly enough, I, I considered this one for it. And um, I probably would have next year had you not already done it. But yeah, Home Improvement still holds up to this day. It's still funny. You can, I think it's on Disney Plus and Hulu. So if you want to rewatch it, it, it's fantastic. They have some of the best Christmas episodes. They have the best, some of the best Halloween episodes. I mean, Home Improvement is fantastic. It's so so good. I can't rec- I can't put this show over enough. Yeah, you know, again, it's on uh, Disney Plus. That's where we've been watching it. So, uh, you know, we'll watch an episode or two a week, or you know, and and uh, like you said, it still holds up. It's still fantastic, hilarious. Uh, of course, you got Tim, Brad, Randy, Mark, uh, Jill, Al. You know, just everything on that show worked. It was lightning in a bottle. Um, I know they've tried to, some people actually say that the new one with, uh, oh, Last Man Standing, some people say, oh, it's just as good, but I don't know, I can't, I, I know, I see Tim on there, and all I can think of is, like, Tim and Jill, and it just doesn't seem right, him interacting with a, another woman, but, uh, no, Home Improvement was great, you know, again, I don't know why, but it just, you know, everything clicked, it's just kind of had, you know, we talk about it in wrestling all the time, the it factor, but, you know, this show had the it factor. Can't really pinpoint it. Just everything worked and gelled together. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, one of the highlights was, you know, every episode Tim did something, you know, to himself. What was your favorite uh, Tim Taylor accident? I always liked uh, gluing the uh, head to the table. Yes. And the reason was is because, like, you know, Al always threw in, like, now we, we have to remind our, our viewers how – how dangerous this glue can be. It will, you know, instantly bond to your skin. He's like, and Tim was always like, Oh, come on, Al. Every idiot knows that, you know, or, or whatever it was. And and then he accidentally, I think he drops something. He goes to pick it up and you see his head hit the table. Of course, Al hasn't noticed right away, but then you see Tim, like, it's like, it's so funny because his hips were, were coming up. Like he was trying to come off the table, <laughs> but like his head was in place. Oh, so good. And then of course he ends up walking in the house and that piece of wood, they cut off and it's still glued to his head. Just beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. My favorite was when he dropped the big uh, steel beam onto Jill's car. That's a good one. Yes. Uh, that's, that was fantastic. One. Um, that I, I remember him electrocuting himself with the dishwasher. Yeah, it was the first episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or the pilot, anyway. Yeah, uh, glue, uh, he got the hammer stuck to his tongue up on the roof trying to do Christmas decorations. Yeah. Fallen, like, into the porta potty through the top. I remember that one. Um, oh, it's such a good show. Like I said, the memories are flooding back. I, I And there's so many special episodes, too. Like, um, anytime he introduced, like, the man's bathroom, the man's kitchen, the man's bedroom. Those are always fun episodes on Tool Time. Or when he had like the K and B construction guys, I'll never forget where they they showed how they made a hot lunch on the job site. And one guy like uh, you know blow torch to grilled cheese, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And one guy was like, yeah, I'm, I call this one a shishka Billy Bob, and he pulls out a dipstick on his car, <laughs> and he's like, you really want to make sure you get all the oil off there. And <laughs> Tim's like, looks pretty good, doesn't it? Now and he goes. Still thinking about that dipstick, Tim. <laughs> it's just, it's just so ridiculous. And um, but it, it was a show that, like, as goofy as it was, like, 
Tim was a good guy. Like he took care of his boys. He, you know, he, uh, he obviously had had his faults, you know, as far as maybe not being super present for his wife at times, but ultimately it was a really good show. It's it, to me, it still holds up. I love it. Yep. And like you said, they were great with, uh, Halloween episodes and Christmas episodes. And I always enjoyed watching those, you know, every year. Cause it's actually kind of funny. Cause it's, it's something that you see now all the time. Like every TV show, has a Halloween episode or a Christmas, but it was it was very hit or miss in the 80s and 90s. Not everyone did it, but I feel like Home Improvement, they always managed to hit the holidays and, you know, did a good job with it. So what's your uh, inductee under the TV wing? So I'm inducting another classic. Um, and, and again, I, I considered, like you mentioned, Boy Meets World, and I considered uh, Home Improvement as well. But I had to go with this one because I felt like this was like the uh, first one if I were to think of a 90s or 80s sitcom, this is the one that comes to mind. And uh, I think you know what I'm talking about, uh, Full House. Full House was a fixture of my house growing up for many, many years. And, you know, it, it's kind of one of those shows where realistically the 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 show is, is pretty goofy. But it's got one of the saddest plots you could ever imagine for a sitcom where, you know, this guy who's in his late 20s, early 30s, has three girls, one entering, you know, t- her teenage years, one kind of four or five, and one is a baby, and he loses his wife, to which we eventually find out is from a drunk driver. So he enlists the Pretty help. Pretty heavy. <laughs> Dude, I, right? I mean, it's so sad, like, when you actually think about what the plot is, but he en- enlists the help of his brother-in-law, who's kind of a rock and roll, rebel, motorcycle riding guy, and his uh, goofy stand-up comedian best friend. To essentially move in with him to help him raise his girls. And, uh, you know, kind of an interesting thing because I think any guy in that situation would be like, yeah, I need help. And any, you know, friend, especially as a single guy, like, yeah, I'll I'll do what I can. I'll help you out. But, man, talk about a huge undertaking for his uh, single buddies to come in and kind of end up being like father figures to three girls. Yeah. Am I wrong? But this was kind of taken off of Three Men and a Baby, the movie. Oh, it had to was be. Kind of, yeah. Was it the idea? I mean, maybe the, I don't know the year. I'll have to. I'd have to look into that. But I kind of, for some reason, remember hearing that it's definitely a similar plot. You know, if nothing else. Yeah, and but no, I, Full House was fantastic. Uh, I don't know, man. I saw. I've seen every episode at least like a dozen times. You know, it was one of those shows that was always, you know, playing uh, reruns when I got home from school, or you know, the new episodes came on every Tuesday night or whatever it was back then. Yeah. So yeah, fantastic. Like uh, Uncle Jesse, when you know the wedding episode where he was feeling uh, getting cold feet and feeling you know that he all his wild days were behind him, so he decides to go skydiving. So they ended the the episode of him being late to the wedding because he was stuck in a tree. Right. Yeah, fantastic. There, there's so many fun episodes in this, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one that. I you know they brought it back with Fuller House. I watched a little bit of that because I was so stoked for that, and I was like, "This doesn't really hit the same." I don't feel like, but it was cool to see a continuation, I guess. But yeah, man, it launched the careers of a lot of those uh, actors on that show. Um, it's like you said, it's an every it was an everyday watch for me after school. I always watched Full House, and um, I you know there's so many episodes I remember. I remember and like they had a lot of good Christmas episodes too. I don't think they did it every year, but I remember one where they got stuck in an airport and they uh, oh yeah, that was a good one. And they ended up dressing the airport up to make it look like Christmas because everyone was kind of stuck there over the holidays. So 
Um, always, always, always good. Always good fun. And, you know, ends up, you think about it because uh, obviously Uncle Jesse's planning to be there for a little bit. And then it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to shag out of here pretty soon. And a couple of times he kind of, like you said, with the cold feet and the wedding, he ends up kind of being like, I got to, I got to get out of here. You know, like I can't, this isn't who I am. I'm not a, I'm not a family man. I'm a, I'm a rebel. And, um, but he ends up getting married to Rebecca who comes on as Danny's co-host on his talk show, wake up San Francisco. And they end up getting married and then move into the attic, which they refurnish into like a little apartment and have two kids of their own. So their full house gets even bigger with more people um, I, I mean, like the biggest thing I notice in watching that show is, could you imagine how like insanely difficult that would be to live with that many people? Yeah. Like that would be so insanely difficult. Oh yeah. Yeah. So many people like I, uh, my favorite episode probably, or one of them was, you remember when Michelle was having a birthday party and uncle Jesse and Stephanie, they. They somehow all three of them got locked into a gas station. Yes, yes. And they had to, like, make do with what they have and throw Michelle a birthday party. So they, like, stacked up a bunch of Twinkies to make it look like a birthday cake. And they used a bunch of oil and grease to paint themselves up like clowns. Right. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, definitely, definitely fun. I don't know if it would work today. I mean, pretty cheesy show, but for the 80s and 90s, it definitely was a home run. Oh, for sure. Um, one of my favorites is Danny's dating this new woman and, uh, she has a son named Rusty. Do you remember that episode? Oh yeah. Yep. And he's just like this terror who keeps playing jokes on him. And, uh, <laughs> like no one knows. I'll, I'll tell you the weirdest one is he's doing all these things that's happening at lunch and like, they keep going wrong and you know, no one knows it's him yet. And like Danny goes to get up and the whole tablecloth is shoved in his pants uh-huh. And of course, everyone keeps blaming Joey. Like, oh, Joey did this, Joey did that, and uh, and so like I kind of wonder, like, okay, how did he shove the tablecloth in his pants without him noticing? Like, that makes like no sense when you actually think about it. Like, I know like the trick gum or putting dye in the shampoo, like those are pretty basic things, but I don't know. I'm not buying the tablecloth. Yeah, those were always because I think he was on a couple of episodes. Yes. There was another one where he, he kept, like, rotating this love note, and everybody keeps thinking, like, the love note is from somebody else to somebody else. And I don't even remember who originally it was from. But Oh, that's right. I forgot about that one. Yep, there was that one. So then everybody was all weirded out. And, like, somehow I think Kimmy Gibbler thought Uncle Jesse was in love with her. Oh, and Joey and, thought Rebecca was in love with him. Uh, yes, that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah, crazy. Because I remember Kimmy was like, I never looked at him that way, but I, I guess I still got it or something. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. But, yeah, that's that's my induction for the uh, TV show Hall of Fame. We now move on to a movie. Uh, what's it going to be movie-wise for you? My movie? Uh, I didn't look up what year it came out. The 80s at some point, but right around the Christmas holiday. I think this was a classic for everybody, but A Christmas Story which we actually, I think we just talked a little bit about last week, but from what I understand, kind of the history of it was it wasn't a huge hit when it came out. Right. And then Ted Turner or whoever at TNT was looking for some cheap content. So they decided to start doing this 24 hours of a Christmas story. And whatever year that started, definitely the Christmas story grew in popularity. And now it's pretty well a holiday tradition for everybody. You got to watch the Christmas story at least 
once during the Christmas season. It's it's one of those movies. I think I talked about this when we it was last week when we talked about it. It's a very unusual comedy because like some of the timing on it is just odd. But if you so if you first watch it, you may not get it. But after a few viewings, you just I just laugh hysterically at the the timing. Like one of my favorite lines, you know, because the whole time Ralphie is basically um, narrating, you know, him wanting this BB gun, right? Yep. And like he's at the breakfast table, mom's like yelling at Randy to hurry up. He's going to be late. The dad's reading the paper and he wants this Red Ryder BB gun, but he doesn't know how to pitch it. Right. And he says something to the effect of um, the reporting that bears are showing up at like something such and such store. And the dad mom just look at him like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And he just kind of like, you could see like, oh, defeated like and then that the subject gets quickly changed and they're discussing something else and <laughs> because he's trying to pitch like oh i need a bb gun to shoot these bears right and it's just the timing of it is just so ridiculous and so <laughs> in, on so many levels that's what i i i think is so great about the show or like the creepy mall santa or like department store santa and um or like the weird kid line that's wearing goggles and he's like I like the Wizard of Oz, and he's just like smiling all <laughs> creepy at him. And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I like uh, I like the dad on that probably the most. I feel like he kind of tied the whole movie together, did, mostly because yeah. I don't know about your dad growing up, but I could definitely relate to this guy's dad. How he'd always get he gets so mad, like trying to fix the furnace or the car would break down, or you know, or something was always going wrong, like in the house. Or like very, when, very relatable. Or when he gets the, the flat tire, he's like four minutes. Time me. Right. Like he's so determined he's gonna change his flat tire so quickly. And uh and what's funny is when he not like the big the big one is like when Ralphie says the F word, right? Yeah. And he knocks the uh like the dad's the one at fault. He knocked the whole thing of bolts out of his hand, you know. Or the nuts, I guess. And uh it's like yeah, that was that was on Ralphie. That was on you, pal. He just shouldn't have said the bad word, you know. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, fan, fantastic movie. Uh, still watch it every single year, usually twice. Yes, but uh, yeah, I don't like I said, very relatable. I think everybody can kind of relate to a younger brother, yeah. possibly even if you didn't have one. I think everybody can relate to you know the working dad and and the mom, you know, the good natured mother and. You know, all those things, or at least I hopefully most people can relate to that. And then, of course, there's that present. You know, everybody had that growing up, that one present you wanted for Christmas. Maybe you got it, maybe you didn't, but everybody knows that feeling. Oh, for sure. And I love the narration of when when he's the other buddies daring that kid to put the tongue on the pole. Yep. And he's like, he went straight for the throat with the triple dog dare, you know? (laughs) And, like, just the way it's... It's such a big deal, but you know, obviously, it's not. But as kids, it is. It's it's so funny. Oh, and the uh, Scott Farkas. Yes, I think everybody probably had some kind of a bully, you know, growing up. His lips curled over his green teeth. <laughs> <laughs> he had yellow eyes. Yeah, and then he's yeah, and it just like he'd be like, Rah! and then all run off. <laughs> he actually went on to be in a show. Ah, uh, what the heck was it called? Had I think it had Gary Busey's son in it. Hmm. Uh, Shasta McNasty. Does that sound right? Uh, maybe I don't remember that. Ever one. heard of that show? But he's actually the guy that plays Scott Farkas is not really that tall. 
But uh-huh. I think at the time he was like a really tall kid, but yeah, he's actually relatively short, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Dang it. What the, oh, no, it was, it was uh, Titus. Mm. Remember the show Titus? Yeah, he played his brother, right? Yep, yep. Played his brother. Yes, classic. With uh, Stacy Keach. Yeah. Another great actor. And I don't remember who the blonde guy was. Some stand-up comedian that well, he didn't was, really he was Christopher <laughs> Titus. That's who it was. That was his Oh, name. was that his real name? Okay. Yeah. But it was actually a really funny show. It just didn't last real long. But, yeah, anyway. Good one. Good movie. What about uh, what about yours? So I'm putting in a, a movie that was a classic in the 90s. I remember renting this movie probably three or four times before I actually bought it. Because it was one of my personal favorites. I'm talking about the three ninjas. Yes. And that goes all the way back to, I think as my notes here, episode 25 from yeah. back in August. Yeah, we, we covered this, obviously, on the show. It still holds up to me. Is it perfect? No. But it's like, again, it's one of those things where I think when you throw in kid logic, like, instead of, like, calling the police when burglars show up at their house, like, they decide, hey, we're going to defend this house ourselves, you know, with our karate. And uh, just such a a fun movie, you know, if, if people haven't seen it. Essentially, the grandfather is a martial arts master who, over the summer, pretty much keeps the the three boys, and um, ends up teaching him karate. Dad's not a fan, doesn't really approve, because um, that's his father-in-law. And um, it, his grandpa, like, it's so funny that he lives in, like, this weird, like, shack out in the middle of nowhere. And, like, they train in, like, the front yard and stuff. It's so ridiculous, but so much fun. And uh, there ends up being this guy who's essentially a terrorist, because he's buying, like, missiles and all kinds of stuff. Uh, who's kind of on the FBI's most wanted list, which is oddly enough where their dad works is in the FBI. And um, uh, a couple of things happen and they end up um, kind of on the, like on the radar where he's like, I'm going to kidnap those kids so that I can use that as leverage. So this guy will get off my back while I do this big weapons transaction. Of course. And, and they end up hiring, <laughs> you know, three total surfer goofs to do the job and it doesn't really work out uh but again, the, the show's so 90s, like you see them playing Nintendo and, you know, playing basketball at school and riding their bikes and doing all these big jumps and stuff. It just, it's a totally a 90s movie. And then that scene, you know, obviously, you know, it's similar to Home Alone, which was a huge hit where they end up kind of setting traps for these, uh, for these burglars. Um, just, I mean, like, you know, hitting them in the face with pepper bombs and putting oil and soap on the floor so they slip and fall. Um, putting X slacks in a, in a soda so that they get the runs. It's just such a, such a fun movie. And I, I just, I, I watch it every so often. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It is. I think that's, you know, what you can sum it up with is just, it was nineties fun and not the best acting, terrible stunt doubles, but you know, fun costumes. You know, if you were to throw home alone and the karate kid into a blender, you know, you would come out with, you know, the three ninjas. Yeah. So, yeah, fantastic 90s kids movie. Well, and like the, it's so campy in a, in a lot of ways. Like, I like when they're at the house, they realize the boys have been kidnapped, and all of a sudden they see this guy in the shadows, like, hey, freeze, don't move. And it's Grandpa, and he's wearing, like, this satin ninja suit. And it's like, did you just show up in a ninja suit? Because you didn't know they were kidnapped yet. So, like, like where's your car at, dude? Like, <laughs> or did you walk there in the shadows? Like, it's just so, so ridiculous. Uh, but that's, again, what makes it fun. Be interesting if you took a survey of everybody in the UFC. How many of them got into martial arts because of three ninjas? 
Well, so funny story. My dad, I've probably talked about it before. He teaches martial arts. And during the scene when they get the masks, I always thought that was super cool. I wanted one of those masks. And uh, he called his martial arts supplier to see if they sold them. They were like, no. And he's like, you really should. You'd probably sell a bunch. But they never did. I thought that would have been a huge hit, though, for a lot of kids to get a Three Ninjas mask. Oh, this was a, show, a movie destined for a toy line that never happened. I was really hopeful at least Funko Pops would happen. But, uh, man, I would love NECA, Super 7, whoever to kind of get them because, I mean, you could do so much with these. They would be so so much fun. Absolutely. All right, so after uh, we've now done three, uh, we'll go into our next topic. Let me pull up my list here. And it is a wrestling something, something with to do with wrestling. So, for me, uh, my wrestling item, it is a belt, and this belt debuted on Valentine's Day, 1986, uh, ran all the way through WCW, you know, until WCW was bought out by WWE, it debuted then in WWE in September of 2002, and was just, well, I say recently, but dang, it's always been 10 years ago, they retired this belt in 2014. But my item, wrestling item or wrestling theme thing, is the big gold belt. Nice. Love that belt. I think it's the best-looking belt that's ever been made in, in pro wrestling. And I think most people would agree. Usually it's either like this or the Winged Eagle WWF Championship. Um, you know, is what people will debate on. And some people, the NWA, 10 pounds of gold. But for me, you know, best belt of all time has to be the big gold belt. I tend to agree. I think it's an amazing belt. It literally, ex- to me, exemplifies like the world champion. Like if you were going to say, "Hey, this is guys the world champion," like that's the belt that you would, you know, look at. I think it's and, and when Ric Flair brought it to the WWF in 1991, that was insane to me. Like because mm-hmm. they never mentioned competition back in those days, but seeing that on WWF television when they were first able to air it, that was insane. Yeah, and being called the real world's champion. Yeah. Of course, then in like 96, when you had the famous uh, NWO, when they when they came and they spray painted NWO over the top of it, that was so simple, but yet groundbreaking, I oh, thought. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that was so cool, you know, back in the 90s. Well, because, you know, graffiti was such a big thing, too. And they were like, that was kind of their trademark. They'd spray paint NWO on guys, like they're tagging them. And like, that's, it'd be humiliating to be like spray painted by somebody. And so you spray paint a belt and it's like, you're basically spitting in the face of anything that's uh, historical. So yeah, it was, it was a really cool move. And nowadays they're kind of replicating that with the action figures, giving them the NWO sprayed painted belts, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Well, and back then too, it was like, you know, whenever they told us about belts back then, we totally believed they're like, Oh, this belt costs $300,000 to make. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, that probably seems about right. So then you, <laughs> so then you have a guy or the, the million-dollar championship, which costs $1 million, right. you know, to make because it was solid gold and diamond-encrusted and all those things. So, you know, you had a guy here who this was before replica belts and all those things. I mean, back then, the only thing you could get was like a little, maybe like a foam belt with a little plastic plate on it, you know, so to have someone come in and spray paint it. It was like, oh my goodness, he just like defiled something that cost $30,000 to manufacture or something, or, or they'll never get another one or whatever it may be. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, and then, 
Oh, yeah, I just thought, I just actually heard about this the other day, but September, when they, they debuted that in September 20, 2002, mm-hmm. with Eric Bischoff when he just gave that belt back to a Triple H. But uh, just how big of a moment that could have been had they done it right instead of just, it was pretty much just like a little opening segment on Raw, like, here's the world champion, but, you know, bringing back this belt that had been around for so long, like, that could have been such a, a huge moment back then. Well, and that was during the uh, like the brand split, the early days when it literally wasn't going well. And, I mean, I don't know if that ever really totally went well, but I remember, like, they were like, oh, the world champion and the women's champion will be on both shows, but the tag belts will be exclusive to Raw. So it's like, so if you're a SmackDown tag team, you have nothing to fight for at all. Like, it made more sense when they did separate titles. I still think it would have been cool if they did a separate title and then a world champion and make that just one mm-hmm. instead of making like three world champions. It's, that was a little weird when they were doing that. But, you know, then the Intercontinental title and the U.S. title is kind of like, okay, that makes sense. There's a secondary title for each show. But but then you end up with so many titles, and now, like, guys are holding two belts that are the same title. It just, it's kind of gotten really convoluted over the years. So what do you know about the resting place of this big gold belt? So I've heard Conrad Thompson. Conrad Thompson, I'll tell you. He's got it. Uh, Scott Steiner will say that he has it. Hulk Hogan says that he has it. Where is this belt? And I know there's been probably multiple ones, which is why maybe everyone feels like they have the original one. But what do you what do you know about it for today? Oh, I don't. I don't really follow that. I know Conrad Thompson is a big belt collector, which that'd be quite a weird collection to actually buy event used belts because that you know that's yeah. not cheap. So. Oh, yeah, and actually I just heard he just bought uh, the WrestleMania 17 big gold belt that was the Rocks, mm-hmm. the big weak wing, winged eagle belt or whatever, and the one that he lost to Stone Cold at WrestleMania 17, which WrestleMania 17, like uh, dollar amount-wise or maybe adjusted for inflation, biggest WrestleMania of all time. So now apparently he has that. But, yeah, I don't know. Actually, Conrad Thompson, <laughs> so here's here's a funny story. I uh, I emailed Comrade Thompson uh, just about, so Harley's belt, uh, the MWA belt. I just want to know, hey, I know you're a big belt guy. What do you know about the one that Harley actually possessed? And then actually, then what else do you know about? Where, where did all these belts end up? Like the original ones, how many were there, et cetera? So he actually told me then that, yeah, he has the original WCW big gold belt. I don't know, again, if he does or not. But I think the only reason he responded to my email is because he thought I might know something of how to get a hold of Harley's NWA belt, mm. <laughs> which Harley didn't have like a ring-worn NWA belt, but it was a belt that I think after he won his seventh world title, they made for him special out of uh, Mexico, I thought. But uh, I think that's the one that Harley had that hung above his desk for years and years. That sounds right. Because it's probably uh, not like, it's probably more of a replica, but I mean... Again, I, I replicas and stuff is always that's always been fine to me. I never needed like a, uh, I don't know, a full on exact like I want that exact belt. Like if I was going to collect one, but that's just me personally. Yeah, yeah, I got I bought one. I bought a replica just kind of as a reminder of Harley mm-hmm. uh, of the NWA belt. But interesting, yeah. But uh, yeah, as far as the big gold belt, you know, I don't, I can't think of a better belt. It just, you know, it hit on all cylinders. You know, the etching on it, you know, as far as I know, maybe the first title where they actually put the names of the people who won it and then would put that on a plate 
and put the plate on the belt. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then it's, you know, it was a great design. I mean, it stuck around for over 20 years, actually almost 30 years. Yeah. It's been almost 40, 86 to whatever it was, 86 to 2014. Well, and even now, like they have the world heavyweight championship. That's not the same, but it's designed after that. So, you know, yeah, what do you, I'm not a fan of putting the big WWE logo right there in the middle of every single belt that they have. What do you think? See, I feel like WWE, they follow trends, which I've never been a big fan of. And, um, like, I'm not a big fan of the WWE title and the women's title being basically the same design. But they're doing right. that to me because that's what the UFC does, where they're all kind of like the same belt. They're just different. Yeah. And I don't really care for that. I want titles to look unique because that's what makes them, to me, like, meaningful. Like, I, I will say, like, AEW's world title, I think it's great. And... The TNT title is not the best, you know, or anything like that. But I, I think their titles should be unique and different. Uh, otherwise, it's like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So, uh, what's your what's your inductee for the wrestling wing? So I went in a different direction, and I went with something that I felt was like craptastic. But it's it's something I saw as a kid, and I, I still have the memories, which is why I chose it. And when the WWE network re like, launched in like 2014, it was like one of the first things I wanted to watch because I was like, this is insane. And that's the event WCW Halloween havoc, 1991. We actually covered the entire pay-per-view uh, in our archives. So check that out. But this is the famed chamber of horrors uh, match, which if people don't know, it was a big giant cage that completely surrounded the ring and had like the, the, it didn't have a top on it. But the inside, like the top of the cage, kind of curved inward, so it would be almost impossible to escape. It would be really hard anyway, uh, which I thought that was kind of a cool concept where, like, yeah, you could get out of the top, but you're going to almost have to go, like, monkey bar style, you know, because it curves in. Mm-hmm. It would be very, 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 very challenging. Um, it was two teams of four, so you had um, Sting, El Gigante, and the Steiner Brothers against Big Van Vader, Cactus Jack, the Diamond Stud, and Abdullah the Butcher. And the way to win, put one of your opponents in the chair of torture, which was basically (laughs) an electric chair, and hit the fatal lever, which was, you know, on, off. Uh, The match does not go well. Like, the the switch is falling on itself back and forth, and so it just it was ridiculous. But they end up, Rick Steiner ends up belly-to-belly suplexing Abdullah into the chair, puts all the stuff on. It's not even on his head. And Cactus Jack hits the lever, unbeknownst to him that Abdullah's in the chair, and he proceeds to get electrocuted. But so it's it's insane. But it's also an event where we see you know a really good match with Stunning Steve and Dustin Rhodes. We see a really good match with uh, Bobby Eaton and Terry Taylor. We see the WCW debut of Ravishing Rick Rude, uh, main event with Ron Simmons and Lex Luger, uh, which actually features uh, our mentor, the one and only Harley Race. Um, so to me, it's an event that will always, you know, be special to me because I remember watching it as a kid and remember thinking like, as I got older, because this is before you could like go back and just watch this stuff on YouTube or see clips or whatever. I was like, did they really have an electric chair in wrestling or did I, am I remembering that wrong? Like, is that a real memory? And so, right. and so I, I'd never been able to rewatch it until the network. And then I was like, I got to watch this. And it was as bad as I remember, but uh, really cool to see again. Well, you blew right by, like, probably match of the night, Oz versus Bill Kazmaier. Oh, main event anywhere in the country. <laughs> Twice on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, 
I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. Like back in the day when you would go into like a VHS store and you would see like this VHS Halloween Havoc and, you know, it just looked amazing. The cover art, you look on the back and, and look through all the matches and then you, I mean, just even if you didn't know what it was, like it, the Chamber of Horrors, that just sounded amazing. Right. You know, and definitely probably would have got you to at least rent the tape, if not buy it. 100%. It was just such a cool thing. And, um, I don't know, it was very classic for, um, for its time. So, yeah. And again, like, I miss event specific, you know, pay per views. Mm-hmm. I always thought those were fun. Halloween Havoc, Fall Brawl, Bash of the Beach, those were all super fun to me. So, um, I know they do like Night of Champions and Elimination Chamber and stuff like that now, but that's just not as cool as what they what they used to be back in the day. Yeah, or even you know WWE, they did Bad Blood, but it was always you know around Halloween, and then they did you know Hell in the Cell, you know as a part of that event. So even though it wasn't probably officially you know a Halloween theme pay per view, it kind of was. Right. So yeah, fantastic for sure. All right, so we're on to our last topic, which is a random thing. So this is uh, this is where it's going to get interesting because you can literally induct anything you want here. Uh, I'm curious the route you went. I know the route I went was definitely a unique one, so I'm, I'm excited to uh, see what this is going to lead to. Yeah, so after I saw yours, I kind of changed up mine once again, so another curveball for you. But I think this kind of matches what you have, unless you've changed yours as well. But uh, I'm going to go with a snack food that all of us as kids loved, probably still do today because it's still around. And I'm going to go with, well, uh, just to whet your appetite, whether you decided to go with strawberry, cherry, brown sugar, cinnamon, or maybe even wild berry, everybody loved a good old Pop-Tart. Oh, man, Pop-Tarts. You got two of them in a package. Like, how good were Pop-Tarts? Absolutely. Very smart. Like, you could just do one, sure, but as a kid, I wanted two of everything. And sometimes I would grab two packs. I would have four packs of pop, or four Pop-Tarts. Oh, yeah. They, they were great. And, and not only that, like with Pop-Tarts, um, like you said, the multitude of flavors. But this is an important thing. They are good hot or cold. And not yeah. very many foods are, um, especially a quick breakfast food. I mean, to me, it's like, probably the best in that regard in the, in the fact that you can eat it hot or cold and they're good both ways. Yeah. And was there any, anything better than a brown sugar cinnamon pop tart heated up? Yeah. It's like that, that was, was, that was not one of my put go-tos. ice cream on it. It was amazing. Not one of my go-to flavors. I was, uh, I was, I, I love strawberry. I love cherry. I still enjoy wild berry. Um, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And then they've actually done some more uh, recently. They've done some kind of even crazier flavors. There's a fruit loops flavor. Uh, in the holiday season, I, I haven't seen it this year, but uh, they've done a pumpkin pie flavor. So, yeah, Pop-Tarts are where it's at, man. Yeah, around the Christmas season uh, last year, they did, like, sugar cookie or something. That was amazing. Oh, that would be good. I, I got, uh, yeah, I got a I got a box of those for sure. Yeah, when Wildberry came out, I want to say 95, that pretty well changed my life. Yes. Like, every, every single Pop-Tart, I was like, Mom, get Wildberry. Do you remember it, uh, Wild Watermelon they had for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, that was okay. wasn't bad. You know, not it wasn't a Wild Berry. Right. Which Wild Berry's been around now for 20 years, so. And still still going strong. It's awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. Well, I don't know if it was the flavor or it had those two colors. Like, yeah, it had the, the purple icing, but then the green swirl, like, over the top of it. But 
I remember one time yeah. my dad was buying Pop-tart. groceries and he accidentally bought strawberry Pop Tarts, but he bought the non iced kind. Oh, and, disgusting! Oh, it was horrible. It's like, oh, that, this is not even <laughs> edible, you know? Like, I can't oh man, hey, guess can you care to guess what year Pop Tarts started? Ooh, I'm gonna say 1972. Uh, yeah, you're not too far off. 1964. Oh wow. September 14th, 1964 is when Pop-Tarts were introduced. Legitimately, to me, it's the best quick breakfast you could possibly ever have. Because even if you toast them, that only takes a minute or two. Um, Yeah. And there's also, like, no cleanup. It's literally grab a package of Pop-Tarts. There's two in there. Enjoy. Yeah, my dad used to make fun of me for them. He'd call them uh, sugar-coated ceiling tiles. (laughs) He'd say, yeah, enjoy your sugar-coated ceiling tile. Like, I I'm like, whatever, Dad, these are delicious. I will. They are so good. <laughs> good old Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Another uh, big reason as to why I was, I think, almost 200 pounds by the eighth grade. <laughs> Probably I so. ate a fair share amount of Pop-Tarts. Yeah, oh, they were so good, though. So uh, for my final one in the random item, um, I, I chose something that I loved as a kid, and they are no longer around, and that's why I chose it. I'm talking squeeze it, um, juice I say juice boxes, but they were more, really more of a bottle. These were a fixture of taking your uh, lunch to school in the 90s. Squeeze-its were, they all had a character. They all had a different flavor. These were amazing, though. I mean, everybody loves squeeze-its. If you had a squeeze-it, and there were only like probably eight ounces. There was barely any in that little bottle. Like, if you drank right. it too fast, you were going to be, you know, eating the rest of your lunch without a drink. But, oh, man, they were so good. Oh, yeah, these were fantastic for field trips. It was marketed so well, too. Like, every bottle had a little face on it. Yeah. And uh, just a lot of fun for kids. And like you said, different faces, different characters. The commercials were fantastic. Yes. Uh, I feel like the red one was always the go-to, but, you know, maybe not for everybody. Yeah, well, I remember mine was always Mean Green Puncher. He had, like, boxing gloves on. Okay. Oh, so cool. I was like, I got to get Mean Green Puncher. And, uh. Yeah, I don't know. Like these were just these were just awesome, man. Like such a such a cool thing. I don't know why they're no longer around, but they were they were huge back then. Yeah, I feel like we need to, and maybe maybe to go along with a squeeze it. I should have inducted the lunchable because yeah, you grab your squeeze it, your lunchable, and you're ready for the field trip to the aquarium. See, what's funny <laughs> is I thought when you were talking about that, I initially thought you were going with the lunchable, but. Uh, yeah, that was that would have been a good one too. So um, it looks like your squeeze it was uh, made by General Mills, marketed from 1985 until 2001. Okay. And then it also appeared from mid 2006 to mid 2007, and in 2011 and 2012. So it came in multiple flavors and additions. Um, they included chuck chucklin cherry, berry, bee wild, grumpy grape, later changed to gallopin grape. Silly Billy Strawberry, Rockin' Red Puncher, Mean Green Puncher, Smarty Arty Orange, and Troppy Tropical Punch. Okay. And each one had a different, uh, you know, color bottle. But, yeah, these were great, man. Yeah, I think anytime you can mix characters in with your food, you know, give it some sort of a mascot, There's uh, you're always going to have good success in the 80s and 90s. Definitely. So that concludes our 2023 class of the Hall of Fame. We uh, we hope you guys enjoyed that. We will be doing more in 2024. We're looking forward to that. But as we wrap up 2023, 
Well, Daniel, we got to spin the wheel for next week, man. Let's spin the spin the wheel. It's a new year, new me. All those things. All those things. Let's make <laughs> you a big uh, you a big what is that New Year's uh, resolution guy? If I feel like I I'm gonna keep it, but I mean I feel like every resolution is kind of always the same for everybody. Oh, this year I'm gonna try to get in better shape. This year I'm gonna try right. not to eat as bad, and it's like, yeah, you know, like. That's probably not going to last. This year, <laughs> you know I mean? this year, I'm going to finally kick that heroin addiction. Exactly. <laughs> That's mine every year, but never works out. Uh, never works out. All right, here we go. Let's uh, let's see what we got here. Awesome. So we landed on uh, for the first episode of 2024 collector cups. Perfect. So this will be fun because I think collector cups. I mean. Any type of, uh, you know, restaurant special edition thing is always cool. But collector cups are always a, a huge a huge way to bring people in the doors, especially way back then. Yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? Like, I don't know how marketing works anymore, but it's like all you had to do was make a collector cup. And I know me personally as a kid, like, that's all I wanted to do that. I wanted to go to McDonald's every single day to see if I could get a new collector cup. Me and my brother were totally into these. Like, we would get them, wash them after we were done with them. Mm-hmm. We would stack them on our dresser in our room, you know, for, well, I mean, for definitely for the whole month or six weeks that they were in production. But then, you know, they would stay on our dresser for a year, you know, until the next year came around and there was a new collector cup or something. Oh, what's funny is, I don't know if you remember this, but any of the ones I had, which I didn't have a bunch, but I did have a few. Like after a couple of runs in the dishwasher, like they started kind of peeling away. Like they they weren't yeah. they weren't great quality. But man, to be able to like I gotta, you know, like Batman Returns is now in theaters and collect all four collector cups. You're like, oh, I gotta get all these. You know, like they were yep. just so cool and and such a such a fun marketing item for sure. Oh, I love collector cups back then, and actually even today they were still kind of cool when you would. Uh, I don't know if you had this in your theaters, but you go to a theater. And you get a large drink, and it'll be some kind of a collector cup of a new movie coming out, or something along those lines. But oh yeah, I think so. And those like those that. hold up about five times in the dishwasher yeah. until those start peeling away. <laughs> a little yeah. better quality, but not not by much. Yeah, it's just it's such a cool thing. And like I said, I I feel like it's weird because nowadays I I don't see commercials for McDonald's like ever, right? And so I'm sure they're still out there, but like I don't really watch cable television and I haven't in years. So it's like, man, I, that was such a fixture of our childhood to see the new toy, the new promotional item for all those restaurants. And mm-hmm. I feel like that was a big driving force to where we went. You know, it's like, what do you guys want? Ooh, I want McDonald's because you knew Batman returns cups were coming or they were going to have, you know, hot wheels toys or super Mario toys or whatever it was. Like that was always a driving force to where you wanted to eat at. Yeah, well, you know, when you say collector cups, you probably think about the plastic one from the 90s, but there was also a lot of the 80s uh, glasses, which I think is kind of where it started. Like, remember when you would go to, like, Pizza Hut or maybe even McDonald's, you could pay, like, an extra dollar or $2 and get a collector glass that was, like, some kind of hand-painted Ronald McDonald on the side or, oh, yeah, yeah. or something like that or Smurfs. I remember there was always, like, a lot of glass Smurfs. And I remember, uh, glasses out there. Like sometimes you'd be like special edition watches. Buy one of these for a dollar ninety nine with the purchase of mm-hmm. a value meal. It's like, oh man, I can go get a you know Aladdin watch. I must buy this, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so stupid, but it was fun. You know, that's kind of what the nineties were all about. Yeah, I think that'll be a good one to kick off our opening year episode. 
definitely. Um, well, we're running short. We're running a little over on time, but that's okay. Um, as we uh, as we wrap up episode forty three, it is, I believe, my week. No, it is. I'm sorry. It is your week for a shout out. Do you have a shout out of uh, somebody or something you would like to shout out for this episode? Oh, probably, but, you know, just to wrap up the episode, whatever, uh, I know I'm going to plug the thing that you say a lot, find your joy, so, yeah. you know, to wrap up our 2023, you know, whatever it is that makes you happy out there, find your joy and make yourself happy. I agree with that, and that's what I tell, try to tell people with collecting, is like, you know, I know a lot of times people buy stuff because they know if they don't buy it now, they won't have it. And they're like, oh, I got to buy this, even though I want to buy this instead. And, you know, I try to tell people, well, find your joy. Buy, buy what makes you happy. Don't worry about that because, you know, it's toys. It's not that important at the end of the day. So definitely find your joy. Um, thank you guys for checking out the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. Uh, check out my other podcast, the TB Toycast, every Thursday. And um, that is all we have for this week. We hope you guys had a great Christmas a great holiday season, a great new year. We will see you in 2024 with some collector cup talk. Should be a lot of fun. So thank you guys for checking out the Saturday morning rumble wheel. And we'll see you next time with some more weekly nostalgia.